Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, hello, and welcome to Jules Says. I'm Julie Jules. We're going to dive right in today because this is a bit long. You know I'm a chatter. I have a hard time sticking to 30 minutes. My friend Joanne and I met at work years ago, and she's still such a great friend. I think she's a fascinating woman. We've had our share of great, grand, and glorious gals chats over the years and shared many stories and perspectives. And I've always admired Joanne's candor and tenacity in managing mental health challenges. We often hear from celebs and professionals about the topic of mental health, but I think there's value in hearing the perspective of a non-celeb who has been navigating her own challenges for years in our underfunded healthcare system. Thank you so much, Joanne, for being willing to talk to people about this. Welcome to Jules Says. Well, hello, Julie. It's so good to chat with you again. Thank you for inviting me to this. It's really, uh, I feel honoured. So, And I appreciate the opportunity to just chat with you and about mental health and mental health challenges, mental illness, all of it. Well, I think it's so important. I think it's something that we all go through. I know I have my own issues. Maybe they're not debilitating or severe, but they're enough that they interfere a little bit with my happiness. And I've never had the tenacity to really deal with it. And I think that's part of the reason I admire your tenacity so much. You've told me a bit about uh, how you first felt like you might have some mental health issues. Do you mind talking about that a bit? I don't mind at all. And the thing I'd like to say first is that with the emotions that come with any sort of struggle, mental health struggle, these are emotions that we all go through or deal with. So for example, let's say I'm having a bad day at work. I mean, we all have bad days at work. 
for myself and I think for others that struggle with anxiety in particular, that bad day equates into a terrible day. It equates into something that you feel you can't crawl out of. Whereas others might have a crummy day at work, go home and run it off or drink it off. For me, I go home and I barely able to cope at home. So these are emotions that we all feel, but some of us, myself included, feel those emotions to the nth degree. Hmm. So your question was, what was it like and how did I know or, or what it was like when I first noticed that there was something off? Yeah, like how old were you and what was it like? Well, my first bout I, with anxiety occurred when I was about seven years old, almost seven. And mom had her sixth child. And so there was seven years difference between me and my baby sister. She and dad were coming home from the hospital. And my other sisters and I were outside waiting for them to come home. They were all in a celebratory mood. There's a a new little person coming into the family. So they were celebrating, they were chatting about what the baby will be called. I wasn't in that celebratory mood. At the time, I just certainly couldn't put into words what I was feeling, but I know now that it was anxiety. So it was like a heaviness along kind of with a feeling of displacement of not knowing where I fit into the family. And again, many children likely would experience this feeling of of where do I fit now? There's a, a new person coming into the family. But for me at the time, it was devastating. And because I was so young and I couldn't articulate what was going on, and even if I could, I probably wouldn't have because I wouldn't want to steal the glory, I suppose, of of a new little being coming into our home. So that would have been the first time that I experienced something that was quite intense. Wow. Seven, you said. Yeah, not quite seven. Oh, that's young. I, I think it speaks to my sensitive nature and those of us that have a particularly sensitive physiology, I guess. We feel things, again, to the nth degree, that much more than than maybe the average person feels. So you were almost seven years old. Now, there are children that age who would have kicked off and had a tantrum. Were you able to control your behavior when you felt like that? That's a good question, Jules, because that, again, speaks to something that's been with me or inherent in my personality from a really young age. And that is, no, I wouldn't have that tantrum. I wouldn't show externally what was going on internally. So in other words, I internalized and ate up all of the sadness and the anger and the confusion. And I presented as a calm and really uh, accommodating little girl and teen and adult because I just, I gobbled it up. I ate the feelings. Oh, tell me more about that. So it's funny because I don't know why I was that little girl that didn't express 
outwardly what was going on inwardly. I, I don't know why, but I just knew or I just became the good little girl. And well, I think also we were raised to be good little girls and you were behaving. Mm-hmm. But how did you feel inside and how did you navigate that growing up? With my anxieties and my fears, you have to realize that this is and this was my world. So I didn't know any other. But what was it like? What did it feel like? I felt anxious most of the time, and I still do. But that's me. That's just an inherent part of me. So as I navigated my childhood and teenage years, there were periods of time, there were pockets where those feelings became so intense that I simply couldn't cope. But as part of my personality, that is just who I was and who I am. What did you do about it, though, when you felt like you couldn't cope? Well, good question, because that kind of leads into my next, I would call, critical episode. And that was when I was around 13. So things were bad. And what do I mean by that? I couldn't sleep. I had this acute insomnia where I would lay awake at night. And what I would be thinking about were these bizarre, unlikely scenarios that may happen to me. So I was heading into high school in a few months. So I would lay awake in bed thinking about the bullying that might occur once I got to high school. Oh, God. And of course, it never did occur. But this is what kept me awake at night to the point where I couldn't eat. The smell of food nauseated me. And finally, it came to a head one night when I just got up, went into the kitchen. Mom was up. Mom was up. And I just said, I don't remember the exact words, but they were something along the line of, I don't want to live. See, I didn't know what the word suicide was. Had I known what suicide was, and had I known about some of the methods that those unfortunates have taken to end their lives, I might very well have attempted suicide. Oh my God. Yeah, I just didn't know what that word was. I didn't know it was an option to take one's life. That's pretty dark. I know that. Well, it is dark. But I think what that speaks to is I'm sure that's a lot more common than people necessarily realize. And none of us wants to believe that that would be how someone we love feels. I don't know if it would be more difficult to be a parent or a sister or, or a mother of somebody going through those horrible emotions. Or was it worse being that person going through those emotions? Because I know as a mom and as a sister and as a friend, if I had somebody feeling those desperate emotions, boy, would I ever feel hopeless and, and helpless. Wow. In an ideal world, we would have adequate mental health funding. Your mother would get you help mm. and you would start working through this at that age. Mm. I'm assuming that's not what happened. 
Well, you're correct. That didn't happen. And I I never was diagnosed. Mom did take me to a social worker and he'd be a man in his maybe early 30s. And being the terribly shy little girl that I was, I didn't have a clue what to say to him. And he was ill-equipped, obviously, in knowing how to deal with a, a young adolescent woman. I remember him asking me about my reticence to speak because I kind of sat there and probably just stared at him. He actually suggested that I was being ever so coquettish with my big brown eyes. Oh, Jesus Christ. Look, fuck's it, sake. It, it, puke, right? Like, oh, fucking men. Terrible, terrible. So needless to say, I, re- I refused to t- return. And in the early 70s, mind you, there's very little help, Jules. But there is a whole lot of stigma. And that was my pathetic story of, of getting help. And not to focus on the man saying that shit mm. to a 13-year-old. And I know that all men aren't like that, but there are enough of them out there that they're mm. doing the heavy lifting. And any woman our age has not grown up and gone through life without experiencing something like that at a ridiculously young age. And in particular, to do that to a shy, suicidal, vulnerable little girl. Anyway, I don't want to derail the conversation with that. Just a comment. Fuck's sake. I know, Jules. And I'd like to kind of divert just for a moment and fast forward about 20, 25 years where it happened again. And I'm going to tell you the name and you can edit it out, but his name was... And I don't know if you know the name. Oh, I know the name. Okay. He had put a sign out on his door saying social, or I I don't know what he said in advertisement of his so-called skills in psychotherapy. He wasn't a psychotherapist. He wasn't a psychologist. And I'm sure he wasn't a social worker. I think I found him by going through the yellow pages and I went to probably four or five appointments with this man. He, he wasn't helpful. My last appointment with him, he sat and talked about his saxophone playing days and how when he and his band performed, he would have women coming up to him wanting to buy him drinks, uh, wanting to have sex with him. And yes, he did say they wanted to have sex with him. And at the end of this appointment, I came home and for the first, honestly, for the first time ever, I stood up for myself and wrote him a letter and said, what you're doing is shameful. That's when I wanted to report him to some regulatory authority. And that is when I realized anybody can cobble up a sign, put it on their door and say they are a whatever, a helper, a, 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 they can use whatever words, but they actually can't say social worker and they can't say psychologist. But yes, it was at that time, a completely unregulated field. I don't know if that's different now, but at that time, anybody could put a sign outside of their windows saying, come and receive help from me. Oh my God. Well, I'm going to look that up later, (laughs) whether that's allowed now. I'm pretty sure life coaches aren't regulated. I should be a life coach. 
Really? <laughs> so uh, I, no, I we're not. <laughs> we're kind of getting off track here. But I know that way back when, when we were both at Front Street working at Nova, I know that you and I, in our many conversations, talked about how you and I very likely could help people more than the professionals because we, <laughs> we're empathetic, we're compassionate, we're pragmatic. Yeah, and I very, remember that too. And by the way, both very intelligent. Yes, aren't we though? <laughs> You refused to see the guy who was sexually inappropriate with you. Women are so sensitive, and especially 13-year-old girls. And so you and your mother must have been, where do we go now? What next? So what happened next is foggy in my memory because not a whole lot happened. And the critical episode that I was going through sort of resolved itself more or less. But clearly, I was suffering with a clinical depression and probably acute anxiety. Now, those are self diagnoses, because again, I never was officially diagnosed with anything. I was 13, entering high school, and just continuing with the shy, kind of insecure person that I was. I got through high school okay, but it was a sad experience. I didn't have any enjoyment. I ate my lunch, get this, in the school washrooms, where there were also other lost little girls eating their lunch. Oh. And I know, because I know that you've had not a great time in high school. I've listened to some of your wonderful podcasts And you have articulately described what your experiences were like in high school and outside of high school. But for me, high school was just a sad, tense and anxious experience. So I wasn't acutely experiencing the suicidal ideation and the depression that I was at that point in time when I was 13. But I was left with emotional scars, Julie. Yeah. And, and and those scars really stunted my emotional growth. So whereas my peers were flirting and dating and being cheerleaders, I just didn't know how to act around boys. I, it wasn't part of my experience. So wow. as a result, I really feel that I was stunted in my emotional growth. And I would be around 17, 18. But emotionally, I still was that 12 and 13 year old young girl. In fact, now I at the ripe young age of 61, I still feel that I am not at a place emotionally that I could be. Well, I think those early years are critical. I think you're right. I think they are not only critical, Jules, but I feel that that emotional trauma has really become embedded in my physiology. And I think that many other experiences that I'll chat about in a moment have all happened the way they happened because of that episode way back when I was 13. Yeah, that's understandable. So where did you go from there? Were you aware of this at the time or is it something that you are now aware of on reflection? 
things are so clear in hindsight, right? None of that was apparent while I was experiencing it. So high school was just a a series of anxious events for me. So I didn't realize that, you know, I probably was at that point suffering with a low grade depression. So no, I wasn't aware of it. I just kind of dragged my butt through school and came home. I, I slept a lot as would be indicative of some type of depression, I would think. But I didn't at the time think, hey, you know, I'm suffering with depression or I'm yeah. suffering with anxiety. Well, you wouldn't just, as a teen. Yeah, you wouldn't think that. It, no, and even so as an adult, I have gone through episodes where at the time I didn't necessarily know that I was in a phase of mental health challenges until I pulled through it and I looked back in hindsight. Well, that must have been painful and challenging. When when I speak about it now and get it out there, it sounds more frightful than it really is. Well, whatever you're living is your norm at the time. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm surprised you didn't turn to substance abuse. You're right. I didn't turn to substance abuse at that age, but over time I became a problematic drinker. Throughout high school, no, I didn't have any issues with alcohol. Although when I did go out to parties, which weren't that often, I would almost guaranteed I'd be the one that would be the drunkest. But those parties and that behavior was few and far between. Over time, however, and as I got into my adulthood and became a a mom and then became a single mom, and then I had my career, that problematic drinking did become more frequent. And I did enjoy drinking. I felt empowered when I was drinking, whereas most of my sober life, I felt disempowered and I felt cobbled down by my my maladaptive coping mechanisms, but alcohol did become very problematic. Well, alcohol can be very problematic for a lot of people. Absolutely. And I think I've chatted to you in the past about some of those uh, very problematic things that arose out of my drinking. Mm -hmm. And I don't mind saying that, yes, I did get a DUI about five or six years ago. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I remember prior to that time talking with you and maybe going out sometimes with you and having a few drinks. 
I remember laughingly saying to you, and I'm sure you probably remember, oh, Jules, I'm fine. I drive better when I'm drunk. I would joke about it, but I actually thought that I drove better when I was drunk. Well, people do think that. And, you know, one I remember, and I don't know if you recall this, saying to you one day, Joanne, you need to make a plan before you go out because it's only a matter of time if you keep doing this before you get hurt hurt someone or you get caught. I don't know if you remember me saying that to you. Absolutely. I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm lecturing a grown woman, (laughs) but I was genuinely concerned about the driving. You know, I've been known to behave in a problematic manner when I've had too much to drink. But unless you're being violent and horrific, most people forgive that. But I would Mm -hmm. never forgive myself if I hurt someone behind the wheel. I can't imagine, Julie. And yes, I remember very clearly you on more than one occasion telling me at the time when you would say that to me, at the time I would think, oh, that's that's so nice that Julie cares for me enough to say what you did say. Well, I'm glad you accepted it in that light because it did come from a place of love. And I very much picked up on that. And that's the other thing, Julie, is is I'm going to stray a little bit here. But as a result of my various challenges with my mental health, I feel like I've become a almost a, an intuitive person. And as such, when I hear advice or, or you know, what, what you told me about drinking and driving, I knew when it came from you, that warning or or those words of worry came from a pure heart. Whereas when others would tell me about don't drink and drive, I put it out of my mind because I just thought, fuck off. You know, you're just judgmental. I never once thought that you were judgmental when you told me that you were very worried about my drinking and driving. I never thought that you're judgmental. I'm really glad because it's not a judgment. It's in the moment you think you're fine. I understand that. I bought myself a little breathalyzer here, a home Mm. breathalyzer, because I will go to my friend Paula's house and have a few glasses of wine. And -hmm. then I drink water for a while and sometimes Mm -hmm. drive home. And I thought, you know what? I Even if you feel sober, you're not necessarily under the limit. So... Mm -hmm. I bought myself a breathalyzer. I haven't used it because we're not really going out or doing anything. Next time, before I do get in the car thinking I'm fine, I'm going to confirm whether or not I'm fine. What and- a sensible thing to do. And let's say seven years ago, you told me that you bought yourself a breathalyzer for when you go to Paula's. At that time, I would be thinking, Julie is very sensible. <laughs> I would also be thinking, you know, that's not for me. But I would have probably bought you one, Joanne. I don't think you could just buy them for the home back then. Technology is improving every day. It's great. But again, back to your journey, you established a career. You became a mother. You you were succeeding in life. Mm. I mean, at what point did you resume seeking high-quality therapy? Mm. So... Indeed, I, I was able to slide through my career. And I have to say, I think I was blessed with a certain amount of, of intelligence. And I was able to slide through my career 
with some very problematic behaviors, but always able to rely on on my smarts to get me through. So I would experience a bout of insomnia, let's say, and I would go for several nights of really not being able to sleep. I don't know how I was able to get myself out of bed, get my daughter ready for school, go to work and try to problem solve and go back home and do it all over again. If it weren't for, I guess, maybe the grace of God, as well as my God-given bit of intelligence that I do have, I don't know how otherwise I would have done it. Because I'll tell you, I sure didn't feel human even on some of those days. I just felt like a train wreck. I've heard it said before that people, especially women, feel like they're imposters when it comes to their career. And I very much felt like an imposter in my career. I felt often that I was going to be found out, that people or the higher ups or management were going to truly find out that I didn't know what the fuck I was doing and then they were going to let me go. And that adds another layer of anxiety to the mix. Crazy. It, yeah. it, it was craziness. It was crazy making. Those years were just crazy. Well, and do you think having a little girl to look after? I think sometimes for some of us, it does force you to hold things together. Absolutely. Raising Andrea really grounded me. Now, (laughs) that's part of this whole experience as well, is the guilt that I now feel. I mean, how many mothers don't feel guilt? (laughs) But looking looking back, and I, I do feel guilty, especially seeing how my own daughter now has her own set of anxieties and insecurities. So my thinking is that, well, I've ruined her, is what my emotionally immature brain thinks. But on another level, I know she's her own person and she's got her own issues to deal with that are outside of how I raised her. And your rational brain knows I've met her over the years, multiple times. She is an engineer. She's brilliant. She's Mm. successful. She's a wonderful young woman. And Mm. I know that sometimes your rational mind doesn't align with your heart, but your Mm. rational mind must recognize that you did raise a fabulous young woman. And Mm. I know that's not necessarily any consolation to your heart. Mm. Because you're right. I think all mothers feel guilt Society Mm. blames mothers for everything that's wrong. Hopefully that's changing. Mm. But how did you get back into therapy? Because to me, it's so difficult to find decent therapy. You already mentioned the bad experience even in adulthood with old Mm. George. Right. I've always been open to therapy and still am if I could find a good therapist. And I understand that it takes time. So. When I go to somebody new or when I went to somebody new, I understood that you may not make an instant connection and that it does take time for you to tell your story, for them to absorb and pick out the pertinent pieces that may help them help me. I know that takes time. But honestly, Jules, I never did find anybody that helped me a whole lot until I went back to school in my middle age 
And I went to the college here, Napton College, and I decided to take massage therapy. While I was there for two and a half, three years, I availed myself of the counseling services at the college. And boy, did I ever find some good ones there. Well, that's good news. It was really good news. It was a, a young woman, Carolyn, and I believe she was a social worker. We, we connected at a certain level, and she gave me some very um, practical coping mechanisms. I feel like I never had, starting from that young age of 13, it was almost as though she was helping the 13-year-old me. So it was really great. At the same time, the college was wise in bringing in a psychiatrist to help students And she was new to the school. She had only been there a few months. So there weren't many people that knew about her, or maybe they knew about her, but were embarrassed to use her services. I don't know, but I I was in like Flynn with her and I was able to have as many appointments as I wanted to. She took the time with me versus the psychiatrists that are outside of the post-secondary realm. Those types of psychiatrists are ones where they more or less write prescriptions and have very little time to do any kind of psychoanalysis. Whereas this gal, Jessica, I think her name was, she was great. She was a a new psychiatrist just out of school. She reminded me of my daughter, Andrea, long, dark hair, big brown eyes, very kind, compassionate. And it didn't take her many sessions, Julie, to diagnose me with, get this, adult ADHD. As soon as she talked to me about that, almost everything clicked in place. I would never have even considered that as a diagnosis. We didn't know, and we still don't know a whole lot about, in my case, the diagnosis was inattentive ADHD. So what that means is, by comparison, if you think about a typical, let's say, little boy in elementary school where they're fidgeting and you know throwing paper balls around and knocking their books off the table, an inattentive ADHD person sits there quietly, but they daydream, they doodle, They're good little girls and boys, but they are just spacing out or zoning out, and they have a lot of trouble and difficulty concentrating. Well, that was me to a T and still is. I've got an attention span of two minutes, and then I'm off doing something else. I was never able to commit to getting anything done. It was pure torture doing those boring tasks that sometimes you have to do in an IT world. Yeah. As a result, Jules, I feel like I have a lot of potential that wasn't exploited because of my attention span. Well, of course. So knowing probably helps. I think there has to be some comfort in going from what the hell is wrong with me to, oh, yeah, this is me. You're right, Julie. All along over the years, I've known that, you know, I would say something wrong with me. So I I have known over the years that I wasn't typical, although I didn't know what or why I wasn't typical. I knew that I was different. So having a diagnosis means to me, oh, I'm not crazy. Yeah. 
it, it was huge. You're right. It was huge. Now, was there any treatment from that diagnosis that has helped? The psychiatrist did prescribe a drug that, uh, yeah, an ADHD drug. The problem with it is, for me anyways, uh, increased my anxiety. So, so I haven't truly found a good balance. And then I graduated from college. So therefore, I was not able to use the services of that psychiatrist any longer. So I kind of left mid-treatment. So here I am now with a diagnosed treatable problem, but without having found that exact mix of meds and cognitive behavioral therapy, probably, to really help me and get me over the next hump, I guess. Well, there are so many challenges with mental health services. Getting someone qualified, getting someone you connect with, getting someone who's actually competent. And the treatment, because the treatment, it's not like if you break your leg, you set it and it heals, hopefully. Right. It's so nuanced. And from what I understand, even getting the right balance of medication can mm-hmm. be a journey in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have to go through the experimentation of different meds to try and treat this? Well, in terms of my ADHD, I didn't go through that cycle of trial and error. But if I back up 10, 20 years prior to this particular diagnosis, there were other diagnoses made that I haven't mentioned because I feel now that they are irrelevant. But 20 years ago, the uh, psychiatrist claimed that I was bipolar and that I had depression. And even then, I was like, okay, well, that's, that's good. I'm glad that there's a name. And yes, they did put me on medication. And yes, there was an ever-changing cycle of meds and trial and error and new meds. And so I did go through that back then. But with my current diagnosis, not so much. Well, that's the other thing, of course, along with that journey is the journey of being misdiagnosed. Mm. And I think, again, because it's not black and white, it's very nuanced and different people are going to look at these nuances and assess differently. That's the other risk and challenge with any mental health challenge. And it is. Uh, Honestly, Joanne, I don't know how you had the tenacity to keep trying. I understand why people just go, you know what, this is just my life. I'm going to live with it. How did you find the courage and the will to continue to make the effort going through what you've gone for so many years? There there are mm. financial obstacles. Even if you don't have financial obstacles, when you work with a therapist or a counselor or a psychiatrist and it doesn't go well, it mm. must be very difficult to keep trying to find someone that can help. Mm. What would you say mm. to people about that? Well, part of it speaks to the nature of humans. I, I feel that humans do have an inherent drive to be well. I feel that we are always, to some extent, striving for that, I guess they call it homeostasis, that balance. For me, I felt like there was no choice. I had uh, my daughter 
And again, thank God that I did, because I feel that the experience of raising another human that you're responsible for was very grounding. And had I not had Andrea, I don't know what direction my life would have gone. I probably very well would have fallen off the tracks and entered into a really destructive lifestyle where I probably would have, I would have given up hope and I would not have tried as hard as I did to try and get better. But as it is, this is my life and I don't see how there's any other choices except to do what I do in in trying to find health and, and stability. I just want to comment that the responsibility of raising a child isn't necessarily grounding for everyone. And I know you know that. For some people, it's not. You're right. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And, and the only reason I wanted to point that out is because of all the bullshit that's in the news this week. The Pope's comments and other politicians' comments about women need to have babies. And I'm like, no, they don't. <laughs> well, you, you know, Jules, this is part of my self-preservation. I've opted out of listening to news, reading news, talking about news. I didn't know. Oh, okay. Uh, That sends me from zero to a thousand. Well, I'm sorry I told you that. (laughs) But, but what, okay, what's the Pope yapping about? Ah, whatever. For the good of the world. Like, fuck off. Anyway, (laughs) I want to touch on one other subject because fitness gurus will say, well, you just need to exercise. Mm. Now, I know you have also been a runner and a yogini. I don't know Mm. where you are on any of that spectrum now. Mm. Mm -hmm. Did any of those endeavors have an impact on Mm -hmm. your mental health? Yes. Yes, you're right. I was a runner for a long time. And running did have a positive impact on my mental health. Although, At the same time, my running was more of, I was driven to run. I had an abundance of excess energy, not positive energy, though. It was almost like an agitated energy. So I suppose I could have chosen a destructive way to manage that agitated energy. Rather, I picked running and it was really good for my mental health, even though I was kind of running out of a driven agitated state, there were positive results for sure from running. And the yoga, yeah, yoga probably did help, but not to the same extent as that good, vigorous front sweating and getting that out there was very helpful for sure. So right now I'm, I'm not running. I have some joint issues and so forth, but I am keeping my yoga up. And so that is good to a certain extent for sure. Well, yeah. yoga is good for your physical health, even if your mental health doesn't need it. And you know what I always say, no one ever hurt themselves reading a good book. <laughs> and then right. Abe says, no one ever got nice legs by reading a good book. <laughs> like, right. well, oh, Abraham. <laughs> How, how's his Fitbit, by the way? You know what? I've come to actually like it. What? I have come to like the Fitbit. Jules. Well, I've set, it, I've set it up so it's not good job buddying me. And that to me is key. (laughs) Joanne, look at the time. We kept going off topic and we've gone on for a long time. We need to wrap this up. 
speaking with you today. You've put me so much at ease. Oh. It's just like a regular chit chat. And yes, I'm a regular person. I'm not a celeb. And yeah, yeah, I do have these issues and I don't have all kinds of cake to be thrown at the problem and being able to hire on whatever expert. It's just an ordinary person going through day to day to day coping with life. So I I appreciate your podcast. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you sharing your story. Is there anything else that you would like to share that we didn't get around to talking about? I don't think so, Jules. It's just that uh, we we all, to some extent, go through certain ups and downs. And there's a certain segment of the population, myself included, that the regular ups and especially the downs of life, we feel those downs to the extreme, to the nth degree. So I think mental health, mental illness is all a spectrum. You had mentioned a a minute ago about uh, mothering and having a child. And for some, it's grounding. And for some, it might be enough to send them off the rails. So it just depends on the severity of of the issue. But we're all, to some extent, experiencing the same ups and downs. Yes, we are more alike Mm -hmm. and yet nuanced in so many Mm -hmm. ways than we realize. And congratulations to Lambton College for investing in high-quality mental health services for its student body. I don't know if that's the case at all post-secondary schools. Eventually, I hope that we all have access to that kind of care when we need it. But Mm. congratulations, Lambton College. Mm -hmm. Maybe -hmm. you need to go back to school full-time, Joanne. I love being a student. (laughs) I love it. Well, Jojo, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jules. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening. I hope you found Joanne's story as interesting and informative as I did. I did check. Life coaches are not regulated in Canada, so I could be a life coach. Who knew? The Ontario government, however, did proclaim the Controlled Act of Psychotherapy in 2018. That is definitely better regulated than it was in the 70s. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate, review, or send me an email at jewelsays at gmail.com. Have a healthy, happy week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.